Towards the end now, we're in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. For Paul then, Jesus Christ was the focus of his ministry. And that means that Jesus Christ was the subject and the focus of all his preaching as well. Because in chapter 4 of this letter, he said, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. But to say that Jesus Christ was the focus of Paul's ministry isn't just to say that he merely preached Christ all the time, but but he goes on to then say in chapter 4 that it's not only he preaches Jesus Christ as Lord, but ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so for the sake of Jesus, because of his devotion to Jesus Christ, then he constantly lives a life of service to God's people so that he can present God's people to Jesus Christ at his return and say, this is the fruit of the ministry that you've given to me. And so then focused on Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul, that his ministry bears the the imprint of the Lord Jesus upon it throughout everything that he does. But that humility, that gentleness of Jesus Christ that then characterized the Apostle Paul's ministry meant that sometimes, just as Jesus Christ was neglected and despised and treated as a nobody, so also the Apostle Paul got treated as a nobody, as an insignificant sort of person. And what pains Paul so greatly is that the Corinthians... Those people that he had met for the first time at Corinth and had told them about Jesus Christ and had saw them coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they had come to think about Paul as a really insignificant sort of person. And there were various individuals that had risen to prominence at the church in Corinth and they called themselves, or certainly other people called them, super apostles. They were the, the special apostles and they had been going around slandering Paul saying, you know, he's not important, his ministry isn't very significant. And Paul then has felt the need to defend his ministry so that they would know that despite all of these attacks against him, he really does care about them and that the ministry that he has for them really is a significant ministry. And these super apostles then, they are boasting about themselves in contrast to Paul. And Paul says, well, if... If you want to do that, two can play at that game. If I'm going to be reduced to that level of boasting about my accomplishments and how significant I am, then then let's have a go at that. And from chapter 11 then through to this point, he's been boasting, even though he doesn't want to, about his accomplishments and how significant his ministry is. He feels foolish doing it because that's not the way he wants to run his, his ministry. That's not the way he wants to commend himself to people. But he feels forced to because if the Corinthians are wanting these super apostles because of all their credentials, then he says, well, have a look at my credentials. So as we read the passage this morning, he brings his boasting to a close. He notes how foolish it is and notes that the reason why he's done it is because he wants them to see just how much he he genuinely cares for them and how significant the ministry that that he has is towards them. And so we read from then verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul writes these words. I have made a fool of myself because of this boasting that he's been doing. But you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you for I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle including signs, wonders and miracles 
How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time and I I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. And this then is God's word to us this morning. What we see in these verses is Paul's deep concern for the Corinthians. And I think as we look at these verses, what we see is that this is the kind of character that draws from Jesus Christ himself. The the kind of characteristics that were seen in Jesus Christ get to be seen in Paul as he cares for the Corinthians. In verses 11 and 12, you see his humility. Because even as he points out his important role as an apostle, he can then say, even though I am nothing, And this kind of humility could only come from Jesus Christ himself, the one who made himself nothing. And then in verses 13 to 18, you see Paul's selfless care for the Corinthians as he pictures himself as a parent, as a father. And he says that parents are supposed to care for their children, not the other way around. In other words, Paul isn't trying to get something from them. Paul is wanting to give himself to them, to expend himself for their good. And again, this is motivated by the heart of Christ for his people. It's a heart that wants to give and to care. And then in verses 19 to 21, he shows that his deepest concern is for their spiritual welfare. That's what he's really concerned about. Because uh, he says that everything we do is for your upbuilding. And so his greatest fear is that when he comes to them, he's going to find them still trapped in their sins steeped in the sins of their past life so that he'll be humiliated when he comes and sees that actually all of his labor has just been in vain because they're no better off than when he started and when he first preached Christ to them. And again, this is mirroring Christ's concern whereby the greatest concern that he has is for their spiritual welfare. And as we think about Paul's concern in these verses, it becomes a model for us insofar as Paul follows Jesus Christ that then becomes a model for us because we've got various different responsibilities people that we've got to care for as believers we don't all have like we don't all none of us have apostolic roles and not all of us have official roles within the 
within the church, but we all have responsibilities of one kind or another for other people that we care for. And so then as we look at Paul, we've got to think, well, what kind of characteristics does he model? And how can we then be the kinds of people that model that towards others? And so the very first thing that we get here from Paul is his great humility. Now, sometimes we get confused about humility and think that humility is just putting yourself down a lot and saying, ah, yeah, I'm not very good at anything, I'm rubbish. But sometimes that can be fundamentally dishonest. Because if you come across somebody and they're a wonderful musician, they can play the piano wonderfully, and you say, you know, that's amazing, I just love the way that you can do that. And then they they say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm no good at it at all. I can't do piano. I'm, it's all just stuff that comes off the top of my head. And that's fundamentally dishonest because you know that they're actually good at it. And they might be trying to be humble, and you can appreciate that. But it's trying to be humble in a way which actually downplays the significance of what they're actually doing. And true humility doesn't require that kind of dishonesty. But it's a recognition that, that what we can do is because God has given it to us as a gift. And so it, it recognises the significance of what God has done, but yet doesn't take credit for it and say, this is because I'm so great. But it's because it's, it's a gift from God. And so... Paul, he comes along here and he wants to stress to the Corinthians in verse 11 that he is not in the least inferior to the super apostles. And so what he's been doing is in chapter 11 through to this point, he's been explaining that he's every bit their equal, but he's going to be very humble about it. Because, because even though he explains in verse 12 that he persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs and wonders and miracles, he then says in verse 11, it's even though I am nothing. So he's got this significant ministry, every bit the equal of these super apostles that are coming along trying to parade how great they are. And Paul says, yes, I, I am every bit that and more so. But ultimately, I am nothing. It could be, possibly, that Paul's being sarcastic. That, you know, everybody been saying that he's nothing. I don't think he's being sarcastic here. He is sarcastic in other parts of the passage. But I don't think he's being sarcastic here because he says that kind of thing elsewhere in his letters. When he's been writing to the Corinthians in his first letter, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And when you read that, then you see that what Paul's saying here, that he's nothing, that he's not fit to be an apostle, is actually something that he, he regularly feels. He regularly emphasizes this. And then we, we wonder, well, how do we fit this together? On the one hand, Paul has been talking about how great he is, how he's been given the significant apostolic ministry, how he's had these supernatural experiences uh, that, that show how significant he is. And yet, on the other hand, he's coming along and he's saying, yeah, I'm nothing. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. How do we put those together? Well, precisely because they fit together because in himself, Paul feels that he's nothing. But God, through his grace, has freely given him this responsibility to accomplish. And so he sees himself as a sinner saved by grace. And he's humble because of that. And yet that doesn't diminish the significant responsibility which he actually has to build up God's church as his calling as an apostle. And so 
he's not afraid to talk about the significance of his ministry. Because in doing so, he wants the Corinthians to see how important that role is. But he wants his ministry to speak for itself. He doesn't want to have to boast about it. He wants the Corinthians to look at his ministry and say, look at his care, look at his concern. This is the kind of person that we can trust because God has clearly given him this responsibility. And so humility is his way of life as he seeks to live out a life of service. But he didn't come to this way of life naturally. It wasn't that Paul just has this natural inclination towards humility. Because in the world outside of Christ, in the religious world that Paul grew up in, in the world that surrounds us, generally the way that people get ahead of that is by talking just about how great they are, by emphasizing their achievements and accomplishments. But since Paul met Jesus Christ, he realized that the one that he worshipped was not only the greatest person who ever lived but was also the most humble person who ever lived and Paul is gripped by this fact and he talks about it in his letter to the Philippians when he writes to them and they've got various problems with boasting and and he, he calls on the Philippians to model their lives after Jesus Christ and he says in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus Christ that even though he was in very nature God He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And so for Paul, looking at Jesus Christ gives him the model of of one who was entitled to boast. One who was entitled to talk about how great he was. And yet chose not to do that but to live a life of constant service that led ultimately to the cross so that his people would know the depth of his care and concern. And just as people didn't recognize the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his humility, because he had taken on the form of a servant, so many people looked at the Apostle Paul and thought to themselves, who is this? He's a nobody. He's nobody special. So the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus then posed a complete change of perspective for Paul, a complete paradigm shift as he realizes that that true greatness doesn't doesn't come about by parading your credentials in front of other people and talking about how entitled you are. But true greatness is about being a servant to others. And humility then was to be the dominant feature of a life which followed after Jesus Christ. Humility which recognizes God's significant gifts and responsibilities but refuses to boast about any of that as if we had somehow accomplished it for ourselves. And I think this is really important for us today because we live in a world, like I said, where people, they get ahead by just talking about their accomplishments and achievements. And Paul, he wants us to see just how foolish that is. He, he talks about what he's done and his boasting, and he says, this is foolish, and I'm only doing it to show how stupid it is because this isn't the way in which we're supposed to actually to follow after Jesus Christ. And so when we seek to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to care for others, we're to model that same kind of humility. And like I said, that doesn't mean that we downgrade the responsibilities that God has given to us or the giftings that God has given to us. We need to recognize how significant the responsibilities that we actually have are. Because each of us, 
in this assembly have giftings that others don't have, have got responsibilities that others don't have. And we're not to downplay that and say, oh yeah, it's nothing. But we're to rejoice that even though we are nothing, God has given us these things that we can actually do in his service. And so our mindset is to be characterized by this humility that sees ourselves as servants of others and to use whatever abilities the Lord has given to us in order to discharge our responsibilities and to serve others as well. Now, the other thing that characterizes the Apostle Paul is his selfless care. And you see that in verses 13 through to 18. I suspect that Paul's opponents in Corinth, they were saying that Paul doesn't really care for you. Paul, he's, he's just trying to exploit you. And I suspect that maybe when they, they heard about this gift that Paul was trying to collect in order to take to the needy saints in Jerusalem, maybe they were saying, he's just trying to, to get this collection so that he can take a cut of this for himself. And so they're trying to attribute to him all kinds of malicious motives and to say that actually he doesn't care about them. And Paul He's quite sarcastic here. He says, how were you inferior to the other churches? Except that I wasn't a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. As if he had done something wrong to them. And he's saying that if you're looking for a difference between the way I treated you, Corinthians, and the way I treated the other churches, the difference is that I didn't ask anything from you. I didn't become a burden to you. I took nothing from you. And if that's what's so terribly wrong, then forgive me for that. But Paul's seriously concerned about them. And he continues to expand in how much he selflessly cares for them by talking about how he intends to come and visit them. And it's not because he's wanting to get something, it's because he cares for them. And he says in verse 14, what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children shouldn't have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I'll very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. And probably some of these opponents were saying, you know, Paul's trying to trick you. And so he, he laughs about this in verse 16 because the accusation's laughable. As if he's some kind of trickster out to get people because he hasn't asked for anything from them. And he, he points out the fact that when he sent Titus and another brother to them in order to see how they're getting on. He asked the question, well, well if I send them to... to to represent me. Did they try and exploit you? No, of course they didn't try to exploit you. They were there to care for you. So how is it that you've somehow got the idea that I'm trying to exploit you, that I'm trying to get something from you? And Paul's point is very nicely pictured in this picture that he paints in verse 14 of parents taking care of their children. Parents, he says, are responsible for looking after their children, not the other way around. Of course, he acknowledges the fact that when parents do get older, we do have to take responsibilities for them. He's not denying that. But he's thinking here about little children. I don't have to ask Ezra and Isaac and Seth to look after me, to somehow you know, provide for me. I'm responsible for looking after them. And this is Paul's attitude towards the Corinthians. He sees himself as a father who's selflessly caring for them, not trying to get something from them but simply seeking their welfare. And again, he's taking the Lord Jesus as example here because the Lord Jesus, he said that he came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because he's the one who came into the world not because he needed something from us, 
as if he comes into the world because he's got this itch that needs fulfilled, that he wants to get something that he didn't already have because, because he had everything from all eternity and his entrance into the world isn't to get something that he didn't have, but to give us something that we didn't have, to give us a relationship with God, to give us the joy of knowing God. And so Jesus Christ, he models this because he's not trying to burden us with something because he needs something from us, but because he comes to take our burdens and to give us everything that he has as a gift. And so just as there's no trickery or ulterior motive in the Lord Jesus, so also in the Apostle Paul, he's not trying to get something from them. His care is undiluted and selfless. And again, Paul, when he's talking in Philippians chapter 2, he, he calls on the believers not to look to their own interests, but look to the interests of others. And then he immediately goes on to say, have this mindset in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. And just as the Lord Jesus had this mindset of selfless love, so Paul models it and calls on other believers to model that. Where we're not trying to get something, but we're constantly interested in serving others. So we're not trying to get something from our service of others. But I think it's helpful to think about the difference between intrinsic motives, intrinsic goods that we get from, from doing things for people, and extrinsic things that we would get from, from doing things for other people. And let me explain what I mean by that. Intrinsically, when you do something good for other people, it comes with its own benefits. When I do something out of service to you, and see you growing, see you flourishing, see you happy, that brings me joy. And that's a, a good thing that comes from it. It's an intrinsic good that's linked together with the thing that I've done selflessly for you. So selflessness doesn't mean that I'm constantly miserable and thinking oh, I'm just constantly doing this, I need to do stuff. It comes with its own joy. And so also the Lord Jesus Christ, um, he he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him he's got this this good that's laid up ahead of him because he knows that he's going to bless his people and what motivates him is this joy that he's going to bring to his people in accomplishing their redemption and so what paul's trying to rule out here is not that there's something good that we get out of selfless service but there's certain extrinsic things that are not connected to the good itself which are exploitative. So if I'm doing something good for you just to get money or to get popularity or to get followers, that's not connected intrinsically to the thing itself that I'm doing to you. And that's what's wrong. That's what Paul's trying to relate. And he's saying that this is the kind of exploitation that he has completely avoided. And so that's the thing that's wrong here. And so we are then called upon to selflessly serve others, not because we're trying to get something out of it, but because we're genuinely concerned about others. This is very instructive when we think about how we relate to other people in evangelism and in seeking to nurture other believers in the faith, because there is a way of doing those things which makes people feel like they're just projects, which makes people feel that you're just trying to tick off a checkbox and say, yeah, shared the gospel with that person, yet prayed for that person, and doesn't make people feel cared for. And then we've got to be careful about that. 
We've got to be genuinely motivated by a deep concern for people so that when we, when we sit down with someone to share the gospel with them, that they, that they know that that's out of a deep concern for them and their lives, that we're interested in them personally and not just trying to check off a box, not just trying to say that we've done something. This, this selfless love that seeks others' good that seeks to carry others' burdens rather than be a burden, is to be the thing that actually motivates us. Again, when we're nurturing other believers, we ought to be doing that in a way which makes them feel their gen- your genuine concern for them. Not that you're trying to just make a little clone of yourself, but because you're genuinely concerned about their spiritual well-being. And that's the kind of thing that, that costs. It's a costly love which Paul modelled, which the Lord Jesus modelled, and which ultimately we are to model as well. But the greatest care that we can show for people, as Paul then gets to in verses 19 to 21, is for people's spiritual well-being. We are to care for people uh, as whole people, but spiritual well-being is, is the crux of the issue. And so Paul says he's not interested in exploiting them or getting something from them. He wants their spiritual good. And so he says in verse 19, everything we do, beloved, is for your strengthening or for your upbuilding. So again, he's very much like a father caring for his children. And everything that he's doing is for their care. That then helps to make sense of the start of verse 19. So this fatherly care, you've got to imagine Paul caring for them as children. And then he says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? And you read that and you think, well, of course, yeah, you have been defending yourself, Paul. What do you mean you're not defending yourself to the Corinthians? Paul means that he is not on trial by them. Paul means that he is not the defendant in their little court case. Just as fathers or or parents don't have to defend themselves to their children, but still might explain why they're doing something. So Paul is explaining himself to the Corinthians, but he's he's not on the defensive as if somehow their approval is ultimately what matters because he says that everything that we've been doing is in, um, in the sight of God as those in Christ. He's accountable to God. And so it's God's verdict that ultimately matters. And he's not trying to say this in order to try and win their approval, as if for them to suddenly say, oh, yes, Paul, you're actually a good apostle. No, he he speaks before God. And so he's not trying to be on the defense before them because he knows that he seeks their spiritual good, whether or not they see it. And so Paul's greatest fear is that when he comes to them, he'll find them in a state of spiritual immaturity and worldliness as if nothing had ever happened to them. And so he says in verse 20, I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. In verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. What does he mean when he says that he's afraid that God's going to humble him before the Corinthians? I think, again, he's thinking about himself as a father. And just as parents feel ashamed when their children do bad things, so also Paul is saying, you know, I've invested so much into you. You're like my children. And if it looks like you're just going to turn around and go back to your old way of life, then I'm going to be humbled when I come to see you. It's going to be like that God's telling me that all of my effort has been wasted, it's been in vain. And I'm going to be humbled in front of you because there hasn't been any genuine transformation. 
And so he says that he'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they've indulged. So clearly, the, the kinds of problems that he's had to address in 1 Corinthians that were afflicting the, the church there probably haven't gone away. And he's worried that when he's going to come again, he's going to find more of the same sorts of problems. And his concern about this is that it would simply demonstrate that they hadn't made any spiritual progress. And perhaps even indicating that they hadn't experienced genuine transformation by God. And again, he's mirroring the, mirroring the concerns of Jesus Christ because what Jesus Christ was concerned about was our transformation, our spiritual welfare. And his redemptive work was about undoing the works of the devil and setting us free from our bondage to sin and death. And so the central passion of Jesus Christ, as, as Paul writes to Titus, is for him to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are eager to do what is good. And that's what Jesus Christ wants. He wants this transformed people who've experienced the life that he can give and so for us then, there can be no greater sign of our concern for people than to seek their genuine spiritual welfare. And Paul wanted them to know that he had this genuine spiritual concern. Sometimes, of course, I'm aware of the fact that seeking someone's spiritual good can become a mask for actually just seeking to control them. Uh, seeking to project yourself and your, your own ideas onto a person. But that's not what I'm talking about. Right? And you know that. To be genuinely concerned about someone's spiritual welfare means to, to grieve for them, means to actually be burdened for them, means to actually sacrifice for them. And that's what Paul did. This was the, the kind of service that Paul modelled because he wanted to show them the love of Jesus Christ that sought their spiritual transformation so that they would be able to live in the life which Jesus Christ had secured through his death and resurrection. And so for us, our greatest joy for people is when we see them growing into greater Christ-likeness. And our greatest grief must be when they turn away from Christ and live lives which are just full of self-centeredness and sin. And so is Paul, he writes to the Corinthians here, he wants them to know the depth of his care and concern for them. A care which is modelled on Jesus Christ himself in its humility, in its deep, self-sacrificial, selfless concern. And a concern which seeks people's spiritual good as the highest goal. And that becomes a model for us. Because in as much, so as, much as we, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially on a resurrection Sunday like this, we rejoice in all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us that we cannot do. And so we can't imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in his atoning death and resurrection. And we rejoice in what he's done for us. Yet... Paul calls us again and again that the same mindset that led Jesus Christ to self-sacrificially give himself for the good of others would so live in us, just as it lived in him, so as to care for others in a way that they know they're being cared for. And so may God help us 
to, like the Apostle Paul, like the Lord Jesus, to live and love and serve as those who seek others' greatest good. May God help us then as we close. Father, we thank you for the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have rejoiced from the start of our meeting in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for us on the cross, in his resurrection and his present intercession for us at your right hand. 